0: Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 is where we want you to be. Uh, And uh, I got to tell you that when I first became a Christian and I was going to Corona High, um, I just wanted every one of my friends to know about the Lord. I mean, it was so transforming to me. So I'll never forget what I did. I went to a Christian bookstore and I bought a cross. And this is back in the 70s where guy wore, you know, they wore the open shirt and the cross there. Uh, most of them had hair on my chest. I didn't have any. But, uh, you know, and, and I went and got a Bible. And the very first day I walk into school and I'm carrying that Bible. And, you, I mean, you could carry any other book. But you walk in with the Bible and they're like, what is this? And uh, I just wanted to tell every friend I had about the Lord. Uh, I probably didn't use a lot of wisdom, but I got to tell you, I had a lot of passion. I couldn't wait to get it out there. And, and then one of my friends, uh, uh, who was actually bigger than I was, he was an all-league, probably all, C, actually all-CIF lineman, uh, heavyweight wrestler. Uh, he looked at me one day and said, Chuck, if you ever talk to me about Jesus again, I'm going to kick your blank. Uh, he was very clear. But the problem he had is that he and I had independent reading together. And so we sat next to each other, and uh, since you could read whatever I want, I was reading the Bible, and I would go into independent reading, and I would sit there, and I'd go, oh my gosh, no way, and he'd go, what? i go, you told me not to tell you, and he'd go, no, you better tell me, I said, no, I can't tell you, dude, you told me not to, he goes, if you don't tell me, I'll kick your, yeah, he said that phrase a lot, and uh, so, so then he would let me tell him. And, and I, day after day I was trying to take shots at him. One day I really got him. I'm sitting there and go, no. He goes, I've had it. You're not going to do, it. dude. There's French kissing in the book. Where? You told me not to tell you. You better, you know. And uh, and 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 then then my favorite day. I'm sitting there, and I said, oh my gosh. He goes, dude, I'm not falling for that again. I said, okay. He goes, no what? And I said, no no no. He goes, no what? And I said, look at Matthew chapter five. Jesus said, you have heard it was told of those of old, you shall not murder. But I'm telling you, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty before the court. If you call your brother Raka, which literally means an airhead, you're guilty before the Supreme Court. And he says, if you call your brother a fool, you're guilty unto the fires of hell. And I looked at my friend and I said, dude, I am so sorry. And he goes, what? I go, dude, you call me a fool today, you're gonna burn in hell. (laughs) And he goes, well, you call people fool. I said, yeah, but I'm a born again Christian, I'm forgiven. Dude, I said, you're going. I, I'm just so sad. He goes, no. Well, you know what? I wasn't the one. Another girl at school eventually led him to Christ. But, but you know what? I just wanted him to know Jesus so bad. All my friends I did. By the way, there are many of you here today that were invited by somebody who really, truly cares about you. And they want you to know the message of Christ in life. We're not going to force it on you. We're not going to bring it out today. But I want to tell you why you were invited. It's because somebody truly cares. And if you're brand new to us, let me tell you, I've been in a series talking about how do we share this message and not do unwise things like I did in those early days. Uh, And what is that message we share? And so just by review, what we've said is this. It begins by developing a relationship. Now, I want to say this again for anybody who's new. We never, ever want to develop that relationship just so you can come to know Christ. While we would want that for you, it's really, we developed the relationship because when we had God come into our life, we realized something. People matter. Everybody matters. There isn't one person in this room. There isn't one person you're going to drive next to. Not one person you work with that doesn't have value. And 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 you don't have to agree with us to for us to see the value of who you are. We know that Jesus loved you so much he died on the cross for you. We know that you're worth that to God. We know that we should just be excited about you. By the way, we know that every single person here and everybody we bump into that God when he called you into being. By the way, cuz you are not an accident. I want to tell you, I don't care what your parents told you. You're not an accident. And uh, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that God wanted you to exist and he has an amazing plan for you. He really does. And, and there's a destiny you were born for, whether you choose it or not. But that means your life is, has amazing intrinsic and extrinsic value. And, and so we develop relationships because people are incredible. And, and that's why we do it. Then after we develop the relationship, the next thing we want to do is discover the story. Everybody has a story. And by the way, for all of us who are followers of Christ, every relationship is founded on us listening, really listening to the person, really wanting to know what is your dreams, your hopes, your pains, your hurts, your history. What are some things you just celebrate that happened and and maybe some things that weren't so good. And by the way, I found something interesting. You can discover some people's stories in five minutes. I've been standing next to a, 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 someone in a restaurant uh, waiting in line for a table and their whole story comes out. Uh, I've had a, a server come up and in between serving me, the whole story comes out. I, I've had it happen on the golf course. I, I, and, and then some people, it takes years. I mean, it just takes forever to finally find out who they are in their heartbeat. But the bottom line is, is we just want to care about people and develop a relationship, discover their story. And then all of us who are followers of Christ, we want to pray for the next step. In other words, if we're with you and you don't want to hear it, then we should be quiet. It's, it's, it's not right to shove it on you. But we're praying for the next step, and we're praying to know when God might say, this is a moment to share something amazing that you need to know, and we need to do that. And, and by the way, that can happen very quickly, or it can take an incredible length of time. But here's what God tells us, the wisdom of God, found in Colossians chapter 4. For all of us who are Christians, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards those who are outside making the most of every opportunity let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt so you will know how to respond to every person It's very unique, it's very individual, it's in God's timing, and then we want to do that. We want to use wisdom, we want to take an opportunity to talk to people in a way that makes sense to them. We only want to share when they're open, and if you're here today and someone's tried to shove it down your throat, they probably were well-meaning, but they shouldn't have done that. But the truth of the matter is, we always pray for a day we could tell you something, and it's two things. One is our story with God, and and God's story for you, And, and, and we desperately would desire to do that to you. When that day comes, it's amazing. And like I said, it can take five minutes or it can take five years. I have a friend who uh, had a, a, a person he cared for. I mean, he just wanted this guy to know the Lord because he loved him. And, and, and he, he, he was one of his dearest friends and he wanted him to share in God's love and that relationship with God. And, and he just was trying for that moment to come. Literally five, six, seven years in, uh, uh, they had planned uh, uh, guys, their families were close, but they had planned a time where all the guys were gonna go away to Bishop and they were gonna hike up into the the area up there and they were gonna fish and spend the weekend together. At the last minute, he got sick. And he called a, a friend of ours named Bob and he said, Bob, I'm sick and I know you like to hike and there's a spot open. Do you want it? And Bob's like, Yeah. So he takes off and goes on the trip. Well, it was Sunday night when the trip was over. My friend laying there sick with the flu, cell phone rings and he grabs it. And on the other end is his friend going, I did it, I did it. And he goes, what did you do? He goes, I gave my life to Jesus. He goes, you gave your life to Jesus? How did that happen? He said, you know that guy, Bob, you invited along? He's a cool guy. And we're walking along, just begun hiking. He looks at me and says, have you ever thought of giving your life to Christ? And I thought, no but I'd like to. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> My friend hates Bob today. you know. And, uh, But you know, at some point, you know, you might get a chance to do that. So what do you do when that moment comes? What is this message we want people to hear? Well, let's talk about it. It, it always begins, by the way, with our story. The vast majority of people I meet who have any interest in Christianity usually have this question. Why did you choose to? Uh, it, what, it, what would make sense to you? Why would this be worth investing in? What is it that caused this to be real for you? And, and that's what I found over and over again. It's very biblical. In John 9, verse 25, there was a blind man, and they said, what is your story? And he said, I can tell you this. I was blind, and now I see. And if you've never thought through it, I think every one of us needs to kind of bring our story down into something short. We don't give them the four-day version. It's a mini-series. Come sit in my house. You know, don't do that to them. But, but we could probably bring it into something meaningful. Let, let me give you some examples. Uh, a particular man I know said this. He said, if I had to tell you my story, I was living a life of success But when I came to know God, all of a sudden I understood the difference between success and significance. Now I found significance. And and it was just earth-shattering to him. Another guy I talked to said this. He said, I was empty. And uh, now I've come to know God and that emptiness that was there, my life is filled to overflowing. He goes, I can't tell you the number of times I laid in bed at night and I wondered this question. Is this all there is? Is this all that's going to matter? And now I know what, it just filled me up like you can't believe. Another person I talked to said this, I was making a mess of my life, bad choice after bad choice, and then God gave my life back to me, and he gave my family back to me. Uh, Someone else I was talking to said, I grew up in a religious home, and I got to tell you, it was anything but what I wanted, and And I thought I've got to earn everything. It's always about being good. It just didn't seem to make sense. And then I got away from it all. And God got a hold of me. And I understood it not about me being good. It's about God's love. And I embraced that. Another person I talked with said, you know what? I was raised in a home where I just always had to try to earn the love. But my mom and dad were both alcoholics. And so they always let me know I was never, ever good enough. And I... I reached a place where I thought, why try? And then I found God. God found me. And I started understanding he loved me. And I understand my life had value. And and that was everything. Uh, Let me give you mine. Here's mine. Uh, I was having the time of my life. I mean, I really was. If you had gone up to me a month before I ended up surrendering to the Lord and said, how's your life? I would have said, incredible. I was having the time of my life. I loved my friends. I loved girls. Oh, did I love girls? And uh, and, and was having a blast with all that. And then I ended up in a situation where I met God. And I know that may not make sense to a lot of people, but for me, that's what happened. He was there. And all of a sudden, everything in my life paled in comparison to who he was. I I mean, it really was. It wasn't that I didn't love my friends. It wasn't what, you know, the girls, but it just pale. All of a sudden, it was, I sat there, and then something happened. As the encounter with God became more real, I began to discover how self-centered I was. I began to discover how selfish I was. How, in the end, even though I tried to be a good friend, it all, in the end, was about me, and what I wanted, and, and was I happy, and And then I also began to discover how I had hurt people, not been there. And and it just floored me as I was in the midst of encountering a loving, caring, holy God, how much I was off base. If you had asked me before that, are you a good person? I would have said, yeah, I I dare to say that any of my friends would have said he's a good guy. But I realized how much was missing. And how much God loved me, and it, it shook me. It just shook me. It was like this earthquake that, that made everything all of a sudden become apparent, what was important. That's my story. And, and here's the thing, all of you who know the Lord, you need to know your story. And you need to be able to share that, because if you're with someone who really cares about you at some point, they're going to want to know it. Now, Now, once you've done that, the most important thing we can do next is share God's story. Because, by the way, God has a story of why he loves people. And, and, and I found that I, I typically, not always, but I love to draw it. And today I want to ask you even to grab your notes and flip it over and see if you can follow along. And, and it just is something that makes sense to me and someone shared with me. And it helped me clarify. And here's the point of where I'm going. God's story is that he loves you so much that he wants to have a true relationship with you. Now, not have you be religious And Not have you go through emotions for him that you don't make sense. God's great desire is to draw you in a very real, very personal relationship. But how do you get there? Well, almost everybody knows there's three things that that we talk about when we talk about becoming a Christian. One is we talk about the Bible. And so, you know what? And we should. The Bible's very important. It's God's revealed word. And and it's God's message to us. And so we talk about that. The other thing we talk about Is we typically talk about church, and by the way, the church is also very important, and it's God gave birth to the church. God loves the church, and the church is to be an amazing community, a family of people. Uh, But of course, there's one thing we should talk about more than any other, and we should talk about Jesus. And and so, when we talk about being a Christian, uh, uh, what I want you to grab hold of is these three topics usually pop up. But here's what you need to know: it is not just the Bible. It is not just this. Uh, Lots of people read the Bible. Uh, Lots of people believe the Bible. Uh, Lots of people have questions about the Bible. I was in a a college class with a professor that I thought was an amazing professor. And she announced to us the Bible was her all-time favorite book. But... I found out, and she would even tell you, she was anything but a Christian. Her lifestyle, her attitudes, I mean, she was as far as she could be. But her favorite book was the Bible. And, and by the way, uh, other people have announced that. So it's not just the Bible. It's also not just the church. It, it, it really is. And, and so there's this old saying we use that going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. Or going into a Del Taco makes you a burrito. Or going into a donut shop makes you a cop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? So many of my jokes bomb. That's the one surefire way I'd love to tell that one. All right. So, but, but it doesn't. And, and so we know that. A Christian goes to church. A Christian loves and adores and reads the Bible. But that's not what it's all about. It really isn't. What's it about? It, everything has to do with this. It has to do with Jesus. And if we don't think about that, if we don't tune into that, we miss the whole point. It's not even just God out there, it's the idea of Jesus and who he is and, and what it means to come into this amazing relationship with him and through him and for him. And, and, and it all has to do with that. And by the way, if you're in Matthew 7, I want to show you that in a second. You see, Jesus began to say some words that I, I think we need to grab hold of, and they're found in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 6. Uh, uh, Matthew seven verses twenty one to twenty three, and and here's where it goes. Ready? Jesus says, and he's talking about the judgment day. He said, many will come to me on that day, the judgment day, and say to me, Lord, Lord. In other words, I, I I'm, you're, I, am i i am a follower. Lord, Lord, and I will tell them, go away, I, or go depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's how he begins. Depart from me, you're practicing lawlessness. So what does that mean? You do not live your life according to my ways. You live your life according to I think. You live your life according to, well, that's what's good for me. You're not living your life under my authority. So depart from me, you practice lawlessness. Then he says these words. And then they will say to me, but Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And I will declare to them, this is the key line, I never knew you. I never knew you. See, this is the key to it all. Jesus says, do you know me? In John 17, 3, uh, Jesus said this, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It, It all has to do with this idea of knowing. To know Jesus, to really have that with you in and him. And, and, and the word know there, it, it's a word that literally means in a Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. It means to know by intimate experience. He's not asking you to come and be religious. He's asking you to come and enter a very real relationship. And there's two main aspects of this relationship. One is you need to know him as Savior. And the other is you need to know him as Lord. Now, the word Lord needs the maximum authority of your life. In other words, that you would really surrender to him. And and, and you see, because I do want to live my life according to your law. The other is Savior. Now, why Savior? Here's where we go. Because the Bible tells us that there's a great divide between us and God. God's over here, and and we're over here. So I'm going to write you or me or whoever it is. And there's a separation between us. Now this separation the Bible calls sin. And a lot of people understand it and want to ignore it. But but Romans three twenty-three says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then over in Romans six verse twenty-three, Paul, inspired by God, says these words. It says, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, it all goes back to Jesus. But here's the point. There's this great divide between us and God. And by the way, let me say this. Whenever there's sin, there's always a separation of relationship. I'll give you an example of it um a particular leader of a very large organization this really happened he was giving a presentation about the company and who they were and and trying to really light up vision and while he was doing that some of the guys who worked for him were sitting there texting and they were texting he's an idiot that isn't true what they didn't know is every text they sent also went to his wife Now, now, this guy thought they were good friends. He thought they were loyal employees. What happened when he read it? Do you think he walked in the office and said, hey, we're cool? Or did he look at these guys and say, man, you just backstabbed me. I don't know if I can trust you. I mean, that was a cold place. I mean, there was a huge separation between them. You know, uh, guys, have you ever said the wrong thing to your wife and there was a huge separation? Wives to your husbands? You ever sat in the same room with one of your kids and thought we just aren't connecting? See, this, this is what happens. A, a big divide happens. And, and, and by the way, it's, I want to say this. It's a moral divide. The Bible tells us that God has to judge us based on our actions. So whenever you've done something that is selfish and hurtful and mean or cruel or immoral, uh, uh, sexually immoral, God says it creates a separation that's there. Uh, uh, the Bible says you're going to be judged based on your feelings. Are you ready for that? Jeremiah says, God will look at the feelings you've had. And when you felt hatred and you felt like destroying somebody, God says, I, I can't live with that. Uh, uh, the Bible says, you're ready for this, you're going to be judged by your words. Every idle word you've ever spoken, every word God's heard. And you might say, oh, I just, you know, God says, no, I heard it. Now, how about this? The Bible also says you're going to be judged by your thoughts. You know, I always talk with people when they go, but I'm a good person. I always ask this question. Would anybody really truly believe you're good if they knew what you were thinking? If every thought you ever thought was open for every single person to hear, would we call you a good person? Let me ask you. Uh, when you're driving down the freeway, how good would you be? Uh, when you go to work, would everybody who works with you go, oh, I love your thoughts. Guys, you think you might get in trouble at home? I mean, wives? You know, how how many friendships would be destroyed if they knew every thought? And see, God does know all that. And God, who is a holy God, and and that's a huge thought, he looks and says, what are you doing? And and you go, well, but I have some good traits. You have some good traits. But the bottom line is it creates a moral divide. By the way, wise people pick up on that. William James is a very famous philosopher and, and was an atheist all his life, and I think he died an atheist. William James was brought into a relationship with a group of Christians that he really admired. And, and James said this. I think this is interesting. He said, whenever I was around them, I was bathed in morality. He didn't mean in a superiority. He didn't mean they, they judged him. He, what he would, meant by that is, whenever I was around them, I just was bathed in morality and the way they loved and the way they cared and the way they thought and talked. And he said, it just made me realize how much was missing. And then he said this, I would have given anything to have what they have. By the way, God gave everything for James to have what they have, but somehow he said, no. I'm reading a book that's very interesting called The Unlikely Disciple. It's a a student from Brown University that decided to, to on purpose, go for a semester to a Christian college. He was shocked by what he encountered, but but the biggest shock was this. He said this. He said, after being around them, the joy they have is genuine. The love they have is real. And I got to tell you, I can't tell you how often I sat and wished I could have what they have. In other words, when people are intelligent and they're around people who genuinely are in an encounter with God, it's not that we're superior. As a matter of fact, maybe if anything, the thing that keeps coming out is we admit when we're wrong and we ask forgiveness and we don't play games and we don't pretend. But the bottom line is, is is, we said there's something that crosses this divide. And that's what God did with Jesus. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you and I might have a way to God, a way to encounter Him, a way to be with Him. And here's what's really interesting about this. Uh, uh, this is where, by the way, if you haven't caught it, being a Christian stands apart from any other religion. All religions have the main premise of what they are is do. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. But Christians live. By another thing and it's called done it's what Jesus did for us on the cross and it's what he accomplished and we don't stand up saying look at us we say look at him look what he did look at who he is and by the way God says don't try to earn it he says I want you to celebrate it I want you to live your life the way it was always supposed to be lived but I don't want you to try to earn it and by the way even if you become a Christian and mess up what does God say to you Said, I couldn't love you more than I do just keep coming back to me. Keep being with me. Now, we want to improve, and we want to be changed, but but it's not so we can accomplish this divide. It all happens when we ex- come into this relationship with God. So So what is it that gets us there? What is it that allows us to be in our life? Well, it has to do with four things. The first is we must really believe it. We must believe it. And that's where John 3.16 comes in, which is the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. God so loved you. You gotta believe God loves you. that That you matter to him. And he wants this relationship with you. You've gotta believe that you have sin. And you have to believe that Jesus came and he really truly died on the cross for your sins. That he was buried in a grave. And that he rose again. Now, now I gotta be honest about this. This whole idea of believe then means at some point you have to have enough loving trust in God that you're gonna take what's called a leap of faith. Soren Kierkegaard is the one who said this. He said, He said, What we need to do is stand on the mountain of evidence that Jesus is who he said he was, and at some point though, you've got to leap. At some point you just gotta throw yourself into his arms and, and, and it, I want to promise you that that's what God is saying are you going to trust me enough with your life that you'll finally say yes come forgive me yes come and make me new yes come and be a part and God I'm just gonna I don't know where I'm gonna go when I gave my life to Christ way 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 back then I had no idea where he would take me by the way if God had shown me a picture of my life now versus what it had been I'd have been here in a second But he didn't tell me that. He said, Chuck, you're just going to have to trust me. And what happens is at some point we got a leap. And and how do we take that leap? Well, we do this thing called repent. And in Acts 2.38, it's very interesting what happens there. Peter, the apostle, is standing with people who only days before had literally screamed out, crucify, crucify, with as much hatred as possible. They wanted Jesus scourged. They wanted him to suffer. They wanted him in pain. And now, it's some 50 days later, and they all know Jesus rose from the dead. His his grave was guarded by Roman soldiers. There's no way anybody could have snuck it out. And no one even could produce a body that was. He's gone. He's risen. And amazing things are happening around them. And these are the very people that said, kill him. And Peter said, do you realize you guys called for his death? And they were struck. And they said, then what can we do? I mean, what's, we don't have a hope. And he said, yes, you do. If you would repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, because he wants to forgive you, it doesn't matter if you've been God's greatest enemy. He couldn't love you more than he does. It doesn't matter if you've made a mess of your life. He couldn't love you more than he does. If you would repent, and what's the word repent mean? It means would you pray? and say meaningfully with all your heart and sincerity, Lord, I want to have you as my Lord and I want to have you as my Savior. I want to give my life to you completely and I want to start living with you and for you. If you would say that, it says that that, that your sins are forgiven, he would give the Holy Spirit to you. And and so what do you do? You you make the great exchange and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. And, And so what we need to do is we need to repent. Then the next thing we need to do is we need to be willing to confess. And, and, and that's found all over the Bible, but one place is in Matthew 10, uh, 32 and 33. And, and Jesus said there that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my fathers in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my fathers in heaven. Now, now, let me tell you this. If you love somebody, the Lord says you'd want to share it. In other words, if you come and, and have a real relationship with me, you can't walk out and hide it. Could you imagine if I got up this morning and I said to my wife, Pam, hey, honey, could you, you pretend that we're not together? Uh, could you not, you know, I don't want anyone to know you're my wife. Uh, it would just be embarrassing and put me on, you think we'd have a good marriage? No. And the Lord says, if you love me, you're going to want to show it. And by the way, in the Bible, the very first thing that anybody does in the book of Acts when they finally truly believe When they really said, okay, that's it. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to repent. The very next thing they always did, always, was get baptized. They didn't wait till they were ready. They didn't wait a year. Uh, They immediately got baptized. See, that's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized. And and that day, 3,000 people in their clothes went into the water and just said, that's it. I'm his completely. And why? Because baptism is an outward confession of what we believe inwardly. By the way, in the Bible, in the Bible, uh, 1 Peter 3.21, this is getting really crowded and nobody can read it except me anyway, but it looks cool. No. Uh, in the Bible, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.21. He says, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, not the water, but the appeal to God for a clear conscience. Now let me say this as clearly as I can. Baptism according to Jesus, baptism according to Paul and, and the Bible and Peter, had to be done by somebody who was appealing for a clear conscience. Who was saying I am confessing that I love him. I am confess and if anybody gets baptized not intentionally in their mind. Confessing they love him. Confessing they know him. Wanting to picture The fact that when you go under the water, the Bible says you're saying, I know Jesus really lived and he died on the cross and was buried. And so, Lord, because you did that for me, then as I go under this water, I'm pledging everything I have is for you. And if that's not what you did, then I need to tell you this. You're going by what a group of men hundreds of years later voted, not what the Bible says. And see, what we need to do is say, God, I want to do things your way. I I want to have your, your desire. It was in Acts chapter 22 that Paul tells us what happened to him. Paul, as an individual probably hated the church and hated Christians more than anybody who's ever lived. He couldn't stand them. He did everything he could to bring destruction on the church, to obliterate families. He helped people get imprisoned for being Christians. He actually helped people be put to death. And he just did everything he could to destroy Christianity. And, and God loved Paul. See, no matter how much he was his enemy, God loved him. And one day Jesus appeared to Paul in such a way that he just shined as a light struck him to the ground. Paul was struck blind. It was God's way of saying to you, you've been so blind and you just didn't know it. And Paul's laying there realizing he has literally, literally uh, uh, been against the one who's true. And so he sits for three days wondering what God's going to do to him. Three days with his gut turning. Three days thinking, I can't believe how wrong I was. And a man named Ananias comes in and says, Paul, don't you realize God loves you? By the way, let me see this again. There's no, no sin you could ever commit. God doesn't love you. There's nothing you could ever do. He wouldn't love you. He's calling for you to, to cross the great divide with him. And he said, Paul, it doesn't matter how, how you've been. God has a plan for you. He's going to use you in ways you can't believe. And he finally says these words in Acts 22, verse 16. He says, Paul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins as you call on the name of the Lord. And Paul does. And his eyes are opened and he goes on to be used by God in amazing ways. But here's the point. Arise and be baptized. That's what I want you to do. If you're ready, you come. Last week at the 11 a.m. service, all of you who are here, I don't know if you were as touched as I was, but I was literally uh, uh, brought to the point, man, I was ready to cry. And, And I had some background you might not have known, although I didn't know everything, but what happened he is, uh, I'm walking back before the service and David's back there. David's one of our special guys, part of our special need program. And, and David's sitting there and he is so excited. He's grabbing me. He's grabbing everybody because it was David's day to be baptized last week. And you guys, you just don't know how bad he wanted it. And then what happened if you were here, you probably remember, is, is we knew, we knew it would not be easy to get David into the water. And we got his helmet off, and and we made special plans to help him down the stairs. Rudy decided he would get in the water with him. And we just planned to take as much time as David needed because it was such an important moment between him and God. And we were going to celebrate that as a church family. But just as they took off the helmet and they took off the brace, his leg cramped up with excruciating pain. I mean, to the point that it was almost incapacitating. And and, and everyone said to him, no, you can wait. And he wanted to be baptized so bad it was no, no, no. I want to go. And and so we had a, a, a time having extra time. And they finally got him into the water. And when he hit the water, it cramped up worse. But he wanted to be there so badly because he loved God so much. Nothing could stop David from that moment. And if you were here, I don't know where you were, but, man, when he was going under that water, I could see the joy. And when he came up, it was like, oh. And, man, it was, and now to know what he went through, that nothing could stop him, I thought, God, I know you got to love David. Man, what a great guy. By the way, last hour, we had something happen at 9 a.m. I knew it was going to happen, but let me tell you what it was. I think it was two weeks ago I, I gave the invitation and asked if someone would like to pray and give their life to Christ. By the way, how do you repent? Remember you pray. And in a few minutes, I'm going to lead a prayer. And right where you're sitting, if you sense God drawing you, you sense God stirring up on you. You sense this is your moment to come to God or come back to him. How do you do it? You, you tell him. And I'm going to lead a prayer with you. You can pray right where you're sitting. Well, I offered to lead that prayer. And I said, is anyone going to pray it with me? And, and, and I looked over and I saw a woman's hand go up. And I found out later she's 72 years old. Nana. It's Nana. And Nana had raised Kevin, who's Lindsay's fiance, and so there's a lot of cool history there. And, and Nana is, 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 that's it, 72, first time ever giving her life to Jesus. And she came forward in tears, hugging on Kevin and Lindsay. They got in the back, and she said, I want to be baptized, and I want to do it on August 16th. And, and they looked at her and said, Nana, if you do it on August 16th, you got to do it in your clothes. And sh- so we thought she'd say, well, no, I'll do it the 20th. you know what she said? Oh, can I go first? Can I go first? And I said, yeah, we'll do that. And, and last hour, I, I ended the service by saying, Nana, arise and be baptized and wash away. And she came. Oh, she was so excited. Here's what I didn't know until last hour. She's deathly afraid of water. But nothing stopped her from getting in this very pool and and being with her grandson, her son, and and, and going through the waters of baptism. And you should just have seen the joy in that woman. Oh, And by the way, in 60 other people too last hour uh, that just came and and said yes. So what we're about to do is this. I'm going to take some time right now to lead a prayer. And if you would like to either commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray it. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to stop and let God begin to move. He's here, and he loves you, and he knows you by name. And if you're not in an intimate relationship with him, he wants you. Then after the prayer, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to say, we're going to stand and sing, and if you want to be baptized, come. And we have pools here. We have a baptistry back here. And and we're going to tell you, if you want to come, you're just going to get in your clothes. By the way, I want to say this. Nothing stopped David from getting baptized. Nothing would stop Nana from getting baptized if a 72-year-old woman can do it. If a, a, a young guy with incredible battle uh, physically would do it, I can't imagine why you'd say you couldn't. But if you're saying, well, I don't know where I'll put my stuff, guess what? We have baggies and we'll put your stuff in baggies and we'll have someone stand and guard it for you and guarantee you get it back. If you say, but I have a shirt that they can see through, guess what? We have black shirts here and we'll put this over you. And if you say, "But what about the seats of my car? We got trash bags, and we'll cover them. So So let me say this. The bottom line is, we got you covered. But you know who has you covered? Jesus. While you may not understand it, he wants to cover you in his blood. And if you uh, today pray that prayer and want to come, we're ready to baptize you. By the way, if you've never been baptized by your choice, something you chose to do consciously in an intentional worship experience with Him, and you say you love God, I'm going to say if you love Him, then listen to Him. Jesus said that He wanted us to go and make disciples, baptizing them. If you've never been baptized His way, the way He calls for we're also going to ask you to come. And it's up to you. We're just going to worship God and see what God does. But now is the most important part of the service. We're going to pray. If God tugs on your heart, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray with me and say yes to him. Let's pray. Father, I know that you love us. And I know, Lord, that you have changed my life and you've changed the life of so many other people who are here today. And God, we saw last hour you move in an amazing way in both young and old, in all races, in all physical dimensions, in people who came from so many different backgrounds and it was amazing. And Father, we're just going to give this time to you right now to do whatever you choose to do. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come. I pray you would just literally tug and stir in the hearts of people right now who need to come to you or come back to you. And I would pray, God, that they would know that they matter. That they have a destiny. That life with you is supposed to be amazing. And Lord, it's time to come to that. And your forgiveness and your cleansing and your healing are for them. So I pray you would stir and call anybody to you now who needs to come to you. And I pray, Lord God, you would call anybody who needs to come back to you. And I pray this would be their moment. I'm going to ask that we keep praying, but right now I'm going to lead a prayer. And today, if you would like to give your life to Christ or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna ask you right where you're sitting to pray with me. If you sense he's calling you to do it, this is between you and him. And I'm gonna ask you, just say these words with me. Just whisper this prayer. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive alive. To make me new and to make me yours. And I say, Yes, I want this and I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray.